there is just a reality of practicing law and being in certain professions that it just is what it is. But when you also are a mother and a wife and, you know, a community leader, it's time to really process, like, is this sustainable? Why do you feel like you even want to try to do all this? Which was, again, a thing for me and helping them see, like, it's not sustainable. So what choices can we make? Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. My name is Adam, and as always, joined with me now is my co-host, Chloe. Today, we will be welcoming Joy White, the founder and CEO of Flawed Masterpieces and founder and managing partner of the White Legal Group. Joy is a seasoned employment lawyer, mindset and wellness executive coach, keynote speaker and entrepreneur. Joy has received multiple honors and recognition, including obtaining minority and women certifications from the GMSDC. WeBank and NamWolf. Miss White has been the recipient of numerous professional awards, most notably Who's Who in Black Atlanta, 40 Under 40, Atlanta Business Chronicle, The Rising Star in Employment Law from the Super Lawyer Magazine, National Black Lawyers Top 100, and Women Leaders in the Law from Fortune Magazine. As a CEO of Flawed Masterpiece, Joy is shifting her focus and expertise to working with Black women attorneys, physicians, and senior executives to help them adaptively navigate the mindset, wellness, and professional roadblocks unique to Black women working in male-dominated professions and industries. Thanks for coming on the show, Joyce. A pleasure to have you here. Uh, We can't wait to start talking with you. Likewise. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yes, Joyce, such an impressive background. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. So tell us a little bit about Flawed Masterpiece and, and, and how it came to be. Sure, sure. So um, Flawed Masterpiece is a passion, I guess, passion project. Um, I, I call it my pandemic pivot. So I launched this business um, in the pandemic, um, you know, kind of being home with the kids and having a lot of time to reflect. I realized that I um, wanted to uh, impact the world differently than I had been up until this point. Um, and so I definitely have a heart for people that, um, uh, you know, are underrepresented, have experienced things in their lives um, that may make them feel less than, um, flawed. <laughs> um, and so, and then the idea um, with the masterpiece is to kind of highlight uh you, you know, masterpieces are unique, they're one of a kind. And so it's about um, celebrating your unique, your uniqueness. Um, so I guess edit right there. So I'll <laughs> come back. So uh, it's about celebrating things that people may otherwise uh, feel ashamed about. So that's the, what's behind the business um, name, but it's a wellness business. It's going to, it has coaching, uh, e-commerce, uh, events. So it's a new business right now. I'm doing the coaching and the e-commerce, but it will branch out to include other aspects. That sounds great. That sounds great. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, why the high performing professional women? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
because and so my focus is is black women um and the idea or the reason one that's me that's that's who I have been um as an, an attorney practicing 16 years um having started businesses managed law firms um having been a c level you know executive in a higher education environment um self care wellness um, are things that are not focused on often um, with women that have that profile. Um, and then Black women in particular, there are things that are unique to them um, in their working experience that can heighten uh, burnout, stress, those kinds of things. And so I wanted to raise that discussion up um, and help women focus on things um, that they may not otherwise focus on until they hit a wall. Um, and so that's, that's the idea. I love that. I love that. And I think you're absolutely right. I think as, as black women, we, um, and, and for our listeners who don't know, I also identify with, with joy as being an African-American woman and black woman here is that there are a lot of just sort of challenges as you go up higher up the ladder, because there's less, people that look like you and there's more sort of situations that you're dealing with, I think, outside of the traditional work environment, but high performing women, entrepreneurs, attorneys, um, they need to make sure that that self-care is at the forefront where you can just, you know, just burn out. And, And I think that a lot of our listeners, you know, small businesses, business owners as well, just I'm sure they can identify with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think people, there's a certain profile of person that pursues entrepreneurship, that pursues these certain professions. So, you know, it's to some degree stereotypical, but like type A in the sense that if you have been driven to get to a certain point, um, that personality, right, might just keep going and just keep going. And there's, you know, maybe not this kind of, oh, I need to relax. I need to rest. I need to take a vacation. Um, I find that my peers and people that I see, that's not instinctive. Um, and so there's not this like balance just, and it's a pro, it's a personality type, but it can lead to, uh, you know, burnout and some serious, you know, mental health, emotional well-being impacting your household. Um, so that's that's my personal experience. I have that experience. And then so that's why I want to bring that kind of to the forefront. So talk to me about, you know, what kind of tangible ways that women can really start thinking through and working through towards the proper self-care. Definitely. I mean, <clears throat> I think self-care, you know, a lot of times is referred to like, oh, spa day or, you know, um, you know, it's it's got a lot of popularity now. Um, but I think it's more it needs to be a part of your routine. So and it can be it, it's whatever is rejuvenating for that individual. So I think there's also this idea that it needs to be a specific like, oh, it's yoga, it's meditation. It can be those things, but it's really what's rejuvenating and relaxing for the individual. So for me, I meditate, I journal, um, I spend a lot of time in nature, I do yoga, I dance, um, but that can also be listening to music, going to an art gallery, reading. So it's just, it's things that are not work, that are not family, (laughs) 
and that are rejuvenating to the individual, which again is going to be unique. But it, the the emphasis is integrating that into your daily routine and your life, not as a luxury or something that you do when you have the time, like actually prioritizing doing things that are only for you, not for anyone else, not your kids, not your husband, your wife, <laughs> you know, not your job, just you every day taking time every single day for yourself. So when you're saying that, taking that that kind of personal time, right, that introspective time, how do you work with your clients on getting there, right? It's, it's, it's one thing to tell somebody, hey, you need to go spend this time, right? But then it's another thing to actually get them to understand what is that, that quality time, right? So walk us through what does that coaching experience look like of somebody who is like, I'm going to say wound up tight, right? And just trying to get them to kind of unspool a little bit, right? Become introflective, become uh, kind of almost self-aware, if you will, right? This is something I work on when I mentor small businesses. I'm like, you have to take some time. So I love that you said that. I was like, that you separate yourself from everything and you think about it all. How do you walk through some of that coaching? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I, I tend to, with my clients, start with, uh, where are you right now? Like, what are the things that are stressing you out? Because usually if someone's reaching out to me, the way that I frame what I do, like you're probably at a point of burnout. Like I'm very clear, like that's who I'm talking to. Um, and so we start with what's going on with them. Like what are, what caused them to reach out to me? Um, and so that's kind of noted. And then we look at like, what do you want your life to look like? Like what's a 10? What's like a 10 in every area of your life? personal, professional, financial, you know, there's a kind of process we go through to kind of start with where are you? Where do you want to be? Um, and so then we start to unpack um, some of the limiting beliefs. So a lot of the work that I did, it's mindset work and wellness, you know, encouraging wellness. But I start with the mindset work because um, that actually includes some meditation. And so in being reflective about how you adjust your mindset, you kind of start to incorporate uh, reflection time. So there's activities, you know, it's like, hey, think about this, go write about this. I give people alternatives. Like you can also talk about, you can talk like there's different apps where you can talk and it transcribes. Because again, a lot of my clients are very busy. And so the idea of, oh, I need to go and journal for hours, you know, I get it. I enjoy journaling. I do think there is something, um, you know, um, therapeutic in writing. But the point is also to start to encourage the self-awareness. So, you know, they'll have exercises. You can talk in a phone and it'll transcribe. And then I have them send me information. And so I start to see, okay, what are the things that are top of mind for them? Um, and then we, I do guided meditation sometimes with them. Um, because a lot of times, most of the people that I know, they aren't meditating, right? Like those are things that are not even on the radar. So to your point, Adam, it's not about go meditate, right? Because right. You, what does that even mean? Exactly. <laughs> so I actually start people with guided meditations just to get them in the habit of grounding and being, you know, and so I kind of introduce these concepts. Hey, you can talk on your phone and it'll transcribe. Hey, I'll guide you through meditation to kind of slowly introduce the concepts so that towards the end, it will be spend 15 minutes a day meditating, um, spend 15 minutes a day writing, but it's kind of 
introduced with me, like I do it with them. Um, also, you know, like the ideas, once everyone's comfortable, you know, I'll introduce um, yoga classes or, and I'll offer to go. Like, so it's kind of this, hey, we can do this together. You don't have to do it with me, but like, I'm available to literally go with you. Because again, a lot of these women are very intelligent, very smart. And so they're like, mm, I understand that, that all makes sense to me, but that's not the same thing as embodying it. And actually, <laughs> so it's kind of like, yeah. right. So it's like, let's do this. I'll do it with you. And then, okay, now you go do it on your own. Um, and I have them think about what's fun for you. Like, do you like being outdoors? Do you like reading? And so I'll add on slowly to where at the end, there should be an hour a day, at least that has a variety of activities that are for them, that are rejuvenating for them. Um, so it may end up being meditation because I've introduced it. It may be journaling, but it's, you know, it's not a one size fits all, but it's what are some of these concepts that I can bring forward and then allow them to find the things that are most um, therapeutic for them. Interesting. So what does a, 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 a I understand you have to keep the names of the innocent protected, especially on a podcast, but kind of walk us through what does a success story look like, right? I mean, what has that looked like so far in uh, in this new venture of yours? You know, somebody that needed your services, you've intervened and kind of where are they now? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, all of my clients, the ones that I have now, we're still working together. Um, so I typically work with people for 90 days. The The big breakthroughs are the mindset, the mindset work up front, because there are so many limiting beliefs. I mean, and this was true for me, like, and I will say, especially as Black women in these environments, um, where we believe these things like there's certain there's just realities that exist but then there are also things that we have come to believe about ourselves like you have to work hard like that's a you know we've come to accept that and there's ways to start unpacking that and having them question like well where did this come from um and are there ways like do we know people that don't work hard that are wealthy you know so it's kind of getting them to kind of unpack this kind of black superwoman trope that they've embraced themselves, you know? So that's been a lot of the like aha moments, like, oh, I can just make a different decision. I can just decide that I don't want, that that's not the life that I have. And then making powerful decisions and new actions from there. I mean, I've had people quit jobs, get new jobs um, that are more fulfilling, that make more money, um, you know. And so I have one person now who's going to um, go back to school to get her PhD. Um, so just kind of empowering you know, my clients to think outside of the box that, yes, society has placed us in a box, but to some degree, we've also placed ourselves in a box um, and kind of given that permission to like, let's explore this. Like, let's explore, you know, you serve your family, you serve the community, but like, who are you? What do you want to do? What do you care about? Because these are things that my clients often have never even been encouraged to explore for themselves. Um and so being a person that has that story so people can relate to me, it's like, hey, I get it. I understand why you haven't done that. But there is 
a different way to live life that is can be much more enjoyable and you can make more money. <laughs> so that's been some of the work is just what do you want and and being a safe container for them to explore things. Um, also, um, being emotional is the space like a lot of black women that, you know, have not don't have the luxury, I will say, to to fall apart, so to speak, publicly. Um, and so being a container. So I'm not a therapist. Right. But it's a safe space. Like you can really just show up and let, let's really talk about what you're feeling. Um, you know, I relate, but it's not about me. It's about them. But it's like you can just come and be here and we can really work through some of these things. Um, so that's been some I think some of the most significant work for them also is having the space to do that work. Um, and then the added benefit of, you know, self-care practices. And if we want to do career coaching like that is involved, but the priority is creating these spaces for them to focus on themselves. Yeah. And I think I just want to go back to one of your comments about not working hard. And it's like, you know, when you think about, um, I think particularly women in law, I mean, working hard is like, I think something different than it, uh, that in it with lawyers than I think it is with anyone else, because you're looking at anywhere from 80 to 90 hours a week. I mean, double what a lot of other people work. And for women who also have families and, and I mean, that's just every attorney that I've talked to in the last six women, six months that that's, you know, a, a black woman. I mean, they're just, they're like, this isn't sustainable for me. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I don't think they even realize that they need this self-care, you know, and start to putting themselves first. They're just on this wheel that they can't get off of. And I think that was my experience as well. And I think part of why I focus on attorneys and other women kind of in male dominated environments, because at the end of the day, and this is, you know, my worldview, there are differences, right? Like if you're a woman and especially if you have a family, oftentimes you're doing all the things at work, like all the things that your peers are doing, your male peers. And then at home, you're also the lead often. So I happen to be single. I'm a single mother, but even women that are married, they're still the, you're the lead. Even if you have help, even if you have a nanny, even if you have a housekeeper, which is a luxury that a lot of people don't have. But even with that, you still have to choose that person. You have to make sure that, you know, the kids are where they're supposed to be. You're, you may be the lead on the bills. You may be the lead on vacations. And so it's not sustainable. And part of what I kind of want to introduce is like, no, this shit is not normal. Like it's not, <laughs> it's, and it's okay. Right, like right. it feels overwhelming because it is, but guess what? You can make a different decision because then it's, what is this about? Is it about the money? Is that, is that what you're trying to get at? Or is it the the titles? Like, I mean, we unpack some of that too. Like, what is it that caused you to choose this to begin with? Because there is just a reality of practicing law and being in some, certain professions that it just is what it is. But when you also are a mother and a wife and, you know, a community leader, it's time to really process, like, is this sustainable? Why do you feel like you even want to try to do all this? Which was, again, a thing for me and helping them see, like, it's not sustainable. So what choices can we make? 
without losing. This isn't about ending up with less money or, you know, like no one wants to lose what they worked hard for. But at the same time, you know, are you thriving? Are you happy? Are you healthy? Um, and when you really start unpacking some of that, no, they're not. You know, you got migraines and you've got you know, you're maybe gaining weight because you can't eat. There's all these things. So it's like, no, I want to give you permission to make some different decisions for yourself that, and guess what? There's happiness on the other side of this. Like there are people that are happy that make good money that don't work a hundred hours a week and don't, you know, wake up every morning with a migraine. Um, Chloe, to your point, I do think the issue, there are certain professions that do um, support, you know, like promote that lifestyle. And it just is what it is. The legal profession is one of those professions where it is it is supported. So if and because you work so much, a lot of times most of the people, you know, are other lawyers. Like that was my experience when I came straight out of law school. I only knew other attorneys because, you know, I've been in school. I worked all the time. So everybody's working like that. So it's not always obvious to you even that this is not normal <laughs> to work that way because all your peers typically have very similar lifestyles. Um, so it's also me introducing like these concepts like, no, I've done that and now I don't do it and this is better. Like, which doesn't mean you can't practice anymore, but like there's other ways to live life that aren't right. that. Yeah. Yeah. And so if we shift a little bit to like speaking to the corporations, like what would be some of your advice to them who have in-house counsel to say like, this is, how can we create a more, more balance for our employees? I know one of the things that, that we've talked about sort of offline is going and talking to some of these business resource groups, but also if there's a conversation to be had with leadership around the type of environment that they're creating, what advice would you, would you give to them? Well, I mean, I think the advice is like, there's a cost to burnout. Um, and a lot of times the idea is like, let's get the maximum amount, especially companies, you know, so law firms are kind of a unique thing, but just corporations and other companies, a lot of times the idea is let me get the maximum amount of work out of this person, especially if it's a high performer, which is what I see a lot. So you have someone who is very capable. You keep giving them more work. You may not be right. giving yeah, them yeah. more. That's you true. Know, so yeah. you stack it up. So when I was in my last position, at one point I had four, I had five titles like that were five jobs, like five different people should have had those jobs, but I had all of the jobs. Um, and that was the reward for being really good at what I do, which is not uncommon. Um, but yeah, no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> no, <laughs> right, no, right, exactly. no. I'm like, what is happening? Um, but then, right, there's a cost to that and it's burnout. And then guess what? You lose the employee or they, you know, need to take a leave of absence, but there's, you know, or FMLA or they need an accommodation. There's all these things. So you're actually pushing them to the wall now you don't have any performance from that person. Um, and likely you may have, you may have legal risk. You may have, I mean, there's a lot of things that, and that's like worst case scenario, but 
Because sometimes it's not, oh, just be good to your employees because you should. People should, companies should, but that's not always enough. But guess what? There's a cost to you <laughs> from your, your employees being burnt out. And there can be legal issues related, depending on how that plays out. You know, as you know, my background is an employment attorney. So, you know, you bring someone in, they have one job, you're paying them for one job, you start giving them different titles more work, not additional money, not additional resources, um, you know, stress, you know, triggers. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can show up for companies when you're pushing people to the wall. Um, and so it's much cheaper and healthier for everyone to have a reasonable work-life balance for your employees. They're going to stay longer. They're going to perform better. Um, and you're going to have less legal exposure. Like when people are burnt out, they sue or they leave or they file <laughs> workers' comp. I mean, there's things that happen when you do that to people. So I think employers, you know, need to understand, um, be separate from the fact that it's just the right thing to do to treat people well and care about their well-being. Um, there's a there's a bottom line and it's a number, it's a dollar sign of cost that that you will incur when you are not mindful of people's um, well-being and kind of overall working conditions. You know, and I think you brought up some interesting points in there too, right? From a legal perspective, right? Employment law, uh, the legal lawsuits that could come in, the filing of unemployment against uh, your, your different things. So let's talk, let's kind of dive into that a little bit, right? And talk to us a little bit about the white legal group and uh, the importance of um, employment law. Right. I know that's something that a lot of people don't realize that are specialists that do nothing but employment law uh, and understanding the do's and don'ts and what's required by employers and what's required by employees. Um, can I talk us through a little bit of that, too, because that's kind of the other exciting side, if you want to call it the exciting side of your <laughs> life as well, too. Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, so uh, the White Legal Group is a solo practice. That is my law firm. I launched it originally in 2010 um, and relaunched it um, kind of simultaneous with Claude Masterpiece after. Um, so I both roles are current. Um, and so I exclusively do plaintiff's employment law. Um, and so plaintiff means the employee. So to your point about specialties um, with employment attorneys, typically they are one or the other. So they either represent employers and that's called like um, defense, you know, you're kind of the defense employment side or you're a plaintiff and a plaintiff is the employee or you represent employees. My background and training is in representing employers. So that is what, um, that's what I cut my teeth on in terms of just practicing. I worked in a very large law firm and represented large, you know, Fortune 100 companies defending them in employment law claims. So that's the way that I learned to navigate these things. And so I have now shifted to representing employees um, because, I mean, employers are, um, you know, there's a lot of laws that employers have to abide by. Um, and a lot, oftentimes they do not. <laughs> um, and it is what it is. I mean, it's, it's business. Um, but a lot of times employees do not understand their rights. Um, especially women and especially minorities, just minorities in general, and then women um, very infrequently realize um, 
their rights and what they are entitled, the, the experience that they are entitled to have. Um, and so with my training, you know, I intentionally look at situations and I know very clearly what should and should not be happening. And so I support my clients um, in addressing those things. So it's not always a lawsuit. Um, most of the time, it's not a lawsuit. It is a uh, bringing it to the employer's attention, um, giving them an opportunity to correct the behavior, especially if my clients in want their job, they want to stay there. Um, it's giving the employers an opportunity to course correct. Um, and then they can choose to or not. And then, you know, you know, and so then, you know, we pursue it from there so we can go further um, up to and including a lawsuit. But the goal is not necessarily to just file a lawsuit. So I never just get a client and file a lawsuit. I don't take clients that come and just want to file the lawsuit. It's like, let me help you. Let me help you navigate these things. That might be the right solution. Um, but more often than not, it's not because um, lawsuits take a very long time. And in terms of representing an employee, right, like that's not their interest. They want to either leave their job or stay like they want to continue to live their lives. They're not in the business of litigation. You know, a lot of our, our listeners are also entrepreneurs, small, medium business owners. What is that one thing from your experience, right? What's that one thing an employer should probably look at their organization and go, am I doing X? And something they can start course, the best thing is to course correct, right? Self-identify, self-identify the issues, course Unprompted. correct before you get, yes. right, before, <laughs> the lead, before the lawyers become involved. What's that one thing do you think that's kind of a takeaway that all of our listeners can go, oh, let's go make sure we're taking care of this? Absolutely. I have two things. So glad two you things. Asked. Oh, two, okay. Yes. It's, a, it's a BOGO. Yes. <laughs> yes. So one is um, classification, employee classification, which uh -huh. means um, W-2 versus um, a 1099 contractor. So independent contractors, they get a 1099. Employees get a W-2. A lot of small businesses get this wrong and it can take them out. Right. Like there are rules that govern how you designate people. And depending on what state you live in, more often than not, people are employees unless they have a whole different company. Like if they have a company and they do this service for multiple businesses at once, like so if I'm like an attorney is a contractor, right? Like so, but if you have a person that comes to your office or logs on every day and they only work for you and they're not working for anyone else and you get to tell them what time to start and there's deadlines and they have to eat, like there's all these rules. They are employees, they're not contractors, and you can get in a lot of trouble if you call someone an independent contractor, but they're really an employee. And it's expensive. It's a, you know, it's an expensive problem. And mm -hmm. so I would advise it's all very, <laughs> it's a very, very expensive, expensive problem. Yeah. And it and it deals with the government, right? So it's not it's not just the employee, it's the IRS, it's the Department of Labor. That's those are the players that get involved when you make that mistake. Um, so I would absolutely advise any, you know, new business owner or entrepreneur, get some advice on that. It won't cost you a lot. Most employment attorneys, you know, will kind of do it on a fixed rate, but get help on that if you're unsure, because it is not worth it. You and 
I see it a lot and it can be very devastating um, for a smaller employer, especially if they are misclassifying all of their employees, which is often. So you may have several people that you're calling contractors and they're all employees. Well, that's compounded, right? So that's a big one. The other big one is um, discrimination and things that people may not think are discrimination. And so this is one that I'll use when you're when you're interviewing people and you're contemplating different things. In your mind, when you use the term fit, is this person a good fit? When you're thinking that or writing that or our culture, our company culture, like those are two things that are very common for people to write down and kind of think about in terms of, is this person a good fit? But oftentimes there are biases behind that. Um, and so those are codes for yourself. When you find yourself using terms like fit and culture, right? Because, and it seems innocuous, right? But those are things that can be very costly, especially if you write this somewhere, or if you tell the person, hey, you're just not a good fit, or you're, you, you really, you just, you're not vibing with the company culture. Those two words, those two concepts, <laughs> kind of there's stuff underneath that, and they can be actionable, meaning an employee can come after you and say you were discriminating against them. And then when the rationale that you've used is fit or culture um, as the reason that they didn't get the opportunity, uh, that is starting to gain some traction in terms of unconscious bias. Um, so that would be another one that I would say, just think about it. If you're hiring someone and those are the rationales for why you are choosing to not hire someone. Love it. Those are great. Those, yeah, are no, those are really, great. really, really helpful. Yeah. Um, and for all of our small businesses, hopefully they keep that in mind, you know. Yes, especially think, the IPC part. That is. Yes. That is huge, 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 huge. Yeah. So definitely don't say fit or culture and make sure that you're classifying your employees correctly. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Joy, and be sure to keep up with Joy by following her on LinkedIn at Joy White and checking out Flawed Masterpiece at www.flawedmasterpiece.com. If you enjoyed this episode, listen to our previous shows and tune in next time. Thank you again so much, Joy, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.